From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Torah Studies. This is our weekly look at the Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is Bechukotai, but listen to what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on the fact that it is Shabbat. What is this week? Shabbat, fill in the blank. Shabbat. Shabbat. Well, Shalom is always. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat. It starts with a Cha. Ends with a Zak. Shabbat. There you go. Shabbat Chazak. Shabbat Chazak. What is the Shabbat Chazak? It means that we conclude a book of the Torah this week. Can you imagine? Oh, it seems like only uh, 11, 12 weeks ago that we started. That makes sense. So, so listen, the book of Leviticus contains, I want to say 11 Torah portions. I'm not going to do the count right now, but I think around 11, 10 or 11 Torah portions. And uh, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. And this week, the Chukotai is the last Torah portion in Leviticus. Next week, we start the book of Numbers, but who's counting? And, uh, and so at the end of the book, the Torah reader reads the last verse and says, Chazak, no, and, and the congregation belts out, Chazak, 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 be, be strong, be strong, and be, may we be strengthened. And the reader also belts that out. And it is a wonderful custom that has a lot of meaning, which we will explore tonight. But first, before we do that, I want to ask a poll question. So get your, if you're online, unmute yourself right now because I'm taking a poll. I don't know if it's a straw poll. I'm not sure what a straw poll is, but it sounds like something you do on a farm. But be that as it may, this is going to be a poll that is going to determine what you believe to be the most famous Jewish holidays and the least famous, sorry, holiday and the least famous Jewish, Jewish holiday. All right, question number one. What, in your opinion is the most famous Jewish holiday. In your opinion, start in here. Passover, Passover, what do you have online? Jump in. Hanukkah. Hanukkah, what else? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. What else? Pesach. All right, my friends, my unscientific poll results have proven conclusively, like everyone else's polls, these have been conclusively um, uh, um, demonstrated that the most famous and popular Jewish holiday is Passover. Yes, I know. I know Hanukkah is, is popular, wildly popular that time of year, especially, you know, with all other stuff going on. And Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, nothing to sneeze at. I would never sneeze at that. But Passover, the Seder, number one. Now, next question. What is the least famous Jewish holiday? The least Oh, I'm sorry. I think I muted everybody. You guys can unmute yourselves online. Least, we're starting here, though. Least famous Jewish holiday. Tuba Shabbat, but it's not a real... I mean, Tuba Shabbat is like a... Shabbat. Shabbat. What's a, Shabbat. Bi- oh, a biblical holiday? Shabbat. That is the least- Shabbat. Shavuos, okay. Shabbat. 15th of Av. 15th of Av, again, is not biblical. Give me biblical holidays. That are least the least famous biblical holidays. I'll give you the list. I'll give you the list of the biblical holidays. Ready? Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, 
Pesach and Shavuot. Which of those is the least famous? Shavuot. 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 It's clear. It's unanimous. Poll results are in. We don't even have to count the ballots. There are no hanging chads and no recounts. There you go. We're not getting political. There's no recounts. No need for recounts. Nothing was rigged in this election. Everything is 100%. As my kid says, Hundo P, that's 100%. Hundo P kosher. Everything is a-okay. The most famous biblical holiday is Passover, and the least is Shavuot. And my question to you after I casually set that set up those results, uh, <laughs> my question to you is, this is not a surprise to me, my question to you is, why is it so? How is it that Pesach, Passover, is the most famous and Shavuos is the least famous? I mean, Pesach, we got out of Egypt. Okay, that's a big deal. But Shavuos, we got the Torah. We got our nat national mandate. We got our, we got our marching orders. We got our Bible. How is that the least famous, the least popular, the least, I don't know, the, the, on the bottom of the list? That should be at the top of the list. The whole Torah is Shavuot. Because Passover is like Thanksgiving, like a big family meal. Okay. You're saying it's about the food. Honestly, I'm, I'm into Shavuot's food. Blintz's, cheesecake, ice cream, uh, eggplant parmesan. Hook me up. I mean, I'm thinking like, matzah and wine till i drop i don't know i don't it's know not orchestrated like, it's not orchestrated like the seder yo, i hear what you're saying what you're saying is we got to get the marketing team on shavuot <laughs> and let's let's create some marketing because it's it's got good stuff but it's not out there like if they only knew somebody you know shavuot is in a room somewhere like if they only knew how good i was like oh, i would be famous no but but what is what is the spiritual understanding of this why is shavuot so low on the radar slash totem pole as opposed to other holidays, including Passover, when really Passover culminates in Shavuot. So it should be, I think, I will tell you, even in the Torah, it plays a bit of a second fiddle. It's not mentioned by name of the Torah. It says when you count 50 days from Passover, you count 49 days, the 50th day should be another holiday. It's very vague, very weak on the mention. All right, that's my question. It's my opening question. We don't have to explore the answer. By the end of the class, hopefully you'll have an answer or you'll be stuck with a question. Either way, profit. Now, what we're going to do is now jump into the other intro that I mentioned, which is Shabbat Chazak. Because by now you know that this week is Shabbat Chazak, which means that we conclude a book of the Torah, namely book number three, which is the book of Vayikra, a.k.a. Leviticus. Now, as I mentioned, upon concluding the reading, the congregation belts out, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak. And the reader says, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak. That's the tune, at least that I'm familiar with, upon which we as kids would say, My mother baked the chocolate cake, and in the cake there was a rake, and in the rake there was a snake, and in the snake there was a lake. And we would just keep on going with the rhymes for no reason. There's no snake visit that. But we say, chazak, chazak, chazek, be strong, be strong, and may we be strengthened. The question is, why? Why do we say that? What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the meaning? What are we doing? What are we doing here with that? What's going on? So to understand this, we're going to look at a very interesting verse from the book of Joshua. Just a quick background, quick uh, his, history lesson. Um, Moses was the first Jewish leader 
who led the people out of Egypt, right? Passover, Egypt, 10 plagues, splitting the sea, giving the Torah, 40 years shepherding the Jewish people with all their complaints through the wilderness. At the cusp of the Holy Land, promised land, Moses passes away. As was determined by God, Moses passes away, does not lead the people into the promised land. Who leads them into the promised land? His name was Yeshua, a.k.a. Joshua. Joshua was the major, I don't know, major, the primary student of Moses. In fact, the Torah says about him, he never left the tent of Moses. He was constantly at Moses' side, studying, absorbing, learning. And so thus, God cho chooses him to be the next Jewish leader after Moses. Interestingly enough, the very next book of scripture, Jewish scripture, after the five books of Moses, is called Yoshua, Joshua, named for <laughs> Joshua, Yoshua. Take a look-see at text number one. All right, Elio, please read this, but hold on. First, let me pull this up on my screen. Give me a quick moment. Here we go. All right, you can find this in your books on page 71, in your copies on page 71, and on your screen, on the page or the screen that will appear right now. All right, this is from Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Elio, please read. This book of the Torah should never leave your mouth. You should meditate on it day and night. Be strong in that courage. God is speaking to Joshua. Hashem is speaking to Yeshua, to the leader, the, the, the successor of Moses. And he says, Torah should never leave your mouth. Torah study should never stop studying Torah. Meditate on it day and night. And then he says, Chazak ve'ematz. Be strong and have courage. Look, yeah, ametz uh, is like uh, also courage. But look at the juxtaposition. Continue to study Torah. And then it says, be strong and have courage. What's the connection between studying and being strong? What's the connection? So I'll tell you what the connection is. Very simple. Very simply. You know, when you're studying and you conclude a section of your studies, it's very normal to say, all right, I'm done. I finished. You conclude, a, you conclude your studies and you say, good, I got it. I studied, done. I studied Torah, finito. Now, not you guys. You guys are here every week. You guys are like, you're strong. You guys have chazak, chazak, when it's chazak, present company, is not part of this conversation, but a lot of people, when they finish studying something, one and done. We're good. I'm good. I got my information. Chuck, chuck. I'm out. See you later. I'm going to try something else next week. Um, I don't know. Uh, llama yoga. Who knows? You know, that's the thing, by the way. Llama yoga. Golf. <laughs> Go. Is it goat or llama? Is it goat? I thought I saw a picture of a llama today. Somebody show me. Is it goat yoga? All right. Goat yoga. Goat. You go, wait, wait, wait. No, I think I did see a llama. I did think it was a llama. It was for like the, for the calming. It was very calm llama. By the way, you know, a one L llama is, um, one L llama is the Dalai Lama. And the two L llama is the animal. What's a three L llama? A really big fire. Three L llama. All right. Oh, oh, hold on. Hold on. I hope, I hope that may, I am here all week. All right. If that, if that, uh, <laughs> happy Lamaka. Yes, exactly. Man, good memories. All right. Back to our story. Back to our story. So 
you know, a lot of people when they study, not a lot of some people when they study, they're done, they move on. That's it. So what do you need? You need chazak, chazak, venis chazek. You need some strength. You need some courage. You need some energy. You need a boost to keep on going and to keep on studying, to study it again or to move on to the next book. So upon concluding a book, we say, you know what? This is not it. We're coming back next week. In synagogues, we say, I know we just wrapped up a book. Chazak, chazak, venis chazek. We're going to continue. Let's take a look at how the Aruch HaShulchan expresses this poignantly in text number two on page 72. Sindrine, if you don't mind, please read text number two. Thank you. So the Aruch HaShulchan points out uh, what's clear from the juxtaposition of the verses from Joshua, which I mentioned, which after the after we're told that Torah should never leave our mouth, it says be strong and have courage. There you go. How, how do you make sure that Torah should never leave your mouth? That you should continue to study. You have to be strong and have courage. You have to have the fortitude to keep on going. That's why when we finish a book of Torah, we say chazak, chazak, venis chazak, and that's exactly what we're going to do this week. Now, we've established so far that this week is Shabbat chazak, and we, we understand the custom of where that comes from to shout out, to proclaim, be strong, be strong, and may we be, be strengthened. But here we get to something interesting, and that is that if we say at the end of the book, chazak, chazak, venis chazak, most likely, the thing that we just read has to do with that. Does that make sense? Should I, should I clarify? I feel like I didn't say that clearly enough. The verses at the end of the reading of the book, right after which we say, they must have some sort of energy behind them or a message, strong message to go into that chazak. You with me? The book, basically the book, we can assume the book ends on a, on a strong note because as soon as the book ends, we belt out, be strong, be strong, may we be strengthened. The fact that we're proclaiming strength on the heels or immediately following the conclusion of the book means that those last few verses of the book have some significance. And moreover, we know that there's a connection between the beginning and the end of a book. So as we conclude a book, we're going to look at lessons from the beginning and end of the book of Leviticus. So this week, just, just let me position this one more time. This week, this Shabbat, we conclude the book of Leviticus and we give ourselves a blessing to be strong, to continue learning. But as we conclude this book, let's now spend the next uh, several minutes analyzing the conclusion and the beginning of the book of Leviticus. Not the conclusion of Leviticus, the beginning of Numbers. But now that we're closing a book, let's look at the end of the book and let's go all the way back to the beginning and see if there's a thematic connection between end and beginning, beginning and end. In fact, Sefer Yitzirah, one of the marvelous books of Kabbalah, the earliest book of Kabbalah ever penned, has the following. Linda, please read text number three from Sefer Yitzirah. The end is embedded in the beginning, and the beginning is in the end. Na'utz sofan betchilatan, utchilatan besofan. The end is wedged in the beginning. The beginning is wedged in the end. In other words, beginning and end 
have a tight connection. So what is the connection between the beginning of the book of Leviticus and the end? To do to understand this, I'm going to share with you the two mitzvot that we find that we that we read about at the end of our Torah portion and the end of the book of Leviticus. And I'll tell you right outside, the first has to do with the Bukhar, the mitzvah of Bukhar, the mitzvah of the firstborn animal. And the second, the last mitzvah of, this, of, of, of the book of Leviticus deals with the mitzvah of Meiser Behema, the tithe, the animal tithe that is given. I'm going to read verse, uh, I'll read the verse in text 4a and then explain. Here's what the Torah says. This is toward the end of the book of Leviticus. No one may consecrate the firstborn of an animal since the firstborn already belongs to God. Whether an ox or a sheep, it belongs to God. What does that mean? What are we talking about? Let me explain. In ancient times, um, a farmer who um, a farmer um, the farmer who had a an, an a, the firstborn of an animal. So the mother's firstborn animal, that animal automatically is consecrated to God. And what does that mean specifically? It means that the farmer <coughs> is obligated to bring this animal to the temple, give it to the Kohen, one of the Kohanim, one of the priests that were serving there. The Kohen brings it up as an offering. Some of it gets offered on the altar and the rest, the Kohen and his family eat in Jerusalem. You with me on this? So if the farmer, the Israelite farmer, if I was a farmer in ancient Israel and I had a cow and the cow had a baby, firstborn baby. I take this firstborn calf, bring it to the temple, give it to a Kohen. The Kohen brings it up as an offering and then the Kohen eats the meat from the animal. Okay, done. Easy as pie. What happens, however, what happens if somebody says, listen, I have a firstborn animal, but instead of bringing it to the Kohen and giving it as an offering and the Kohen eats it, I'm going to dedicate it to the temple on my own accord. I'm going to give it as a donation to the temple. We say, I'm donating this to the temple. The Torah says, you can't. It's already, it's pre-donated. <laughs> you can't donate it. It's not yours. You with me on this? Mm -hmm. You can't donate it. It's like, right? You can't. It's not like, oh, my firstborn animal, I'm going to give it as a gift. Uh, it's already it's already predestined. That's that's already its destiny. I'm going to put this back up on the screen for everyone at home, right? No one may consecrate the firstborn of an animal. You can't make it holy. Why? Because it's already holy, since it already belongs to God. Whether an ox or a sheep, it belongs to God. The firstborn animal, kosher animal, belongs to the Kohen, belongs to God, belongs to the sacrificial service. So you can't make it holy. It's already holy. Text 4b. This is, so that's the second to last mitzvah in this week's Torah portion. Yeah, so far clear? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's Bukhar. Okay. Then we have the last mitzvah. It's text 4b. This is talking about Meiser. Meiser Behemoth. The tithe, the animal tithe. Here we go. I'm going to read it, then I'll explain. Every tithe of the cattle or flock all that pass under the rod, every tenth animal will be holy to God. 
No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. These, and this is how the Torah portion ends and the book ends. These are the commandments God gave Moses at Mount Sinai for the children of Israel. And then we shout, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak. That's how the book ends. Okay? So we have the last mitzvah of the book of Leviticus is Meiser Behema, the tithe of the animals, the animal tithe, the tithe of cattle or flock. Let me explain what's going on here. There were different tithes that were obligated, uh, that, that the farmer was obligated to give. There was agricultural tithes that were given to the Levite. There were tithes that were given to the poor and needy. Uh, various categories of tithes. Today, we have a biblical obligation to tithe our income, our earnings, and give it to tzedakah, to charity. Back in the day, there was a mitzvah of tithing animals, which means that if you have a large flock of animals, you are obligated, you're the farmer, you're obligated to give 10%, one of every 10, as a tithe. What do you do with it? You take the animal or animals. If you have 100 animals, that means there's 10. Take those animals. You go to Jerusalem. They're not brought as an offering. You get to eat them. You get to eat the food, the meat, whatever. You get to prepare it and eat it. In Jerusalem, you get to enjoy it. So it's not a sacrifice. It's not a gift to the poor. It's not a gift to the Kohen. It's not a gift to the Levite. You get to enjoy it, but in the holy city, in the capital city, or, or, or in and around the holy temple. Okay? It's a way of offering gratitude to God, acknowledging that God has blessed me with all these animals, and here's uh, some that I'm eating in Jerusalem. It's a way of connecting the farmer with, uh, with the spiritual center of, of, of Jewish life, Jerusalem. Okay. But what was the process? How did you go about um, choosing and selecting the 10 animals? Sorry, the 10%. The Torah says very clearly, all that pass under the rod, every 10th animal will be holy to God. We just read that inside. What does that mean? So as the commentaries explain, the Talmud explains, the, the farmer would, would have to put all the animals in a pen and they would roam around. That's like, that's like rolling the dice or shuffling the deck, right? The animals are moving around, right? You don't stack the pen in any particular order. And then you lead them out through one exit, one gate, single file. You open up the gate. I don't know why a gate opens on the top. Maybe you swing the door or whatever. One, let's say goat. One goat comes out, one. Second, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The tenth, you mark. They put a red mark on the tenth animal, and then they continued. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Boom. Ten. That tenth animal is now miser. The tithe, every tenth animal is 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 the tenth and is considered to be the animal tithe. Now. Why, why can't you just, if you have 100 animals, why can't you just choose 10? Why do I have to go through this whole rigmarole? The answer is because we're concerned that the farmer is going to choose the 10 worst animals, the 10 worst animals, right? The 10 weakest animals. It's like if I have to give 10 or if I have to like not sell or not use 10, all right, so I'll pick uh, whatever. You, 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 all right, come with me. Where are we going? That's, uh, you're fine, right? So like you, the farmer may uh, stack the deck however he wants it and that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be random. So you put all the animals in a pen, 
They're all circulating. And then you let them out one at a time. You don't direct which ones go out. You just random. They come out randomly. Every 10th is holy unto God. Okay. That's how it works. Now, what if you say, okay, look, I got I, the, the, this 10th animal that now is marked red, man. I like that animal. I don't want to meister that animal. I don't want to tie that animal. I like that animal. You know what? I'm going to swap it out for a different one. One for one. No big deal. Torah says, if you swap it out, that and the swap, they're both now the tithe. Oh, you just multiplied it. Nice try. That doesn't work. And by the way, if you want to know where I'm getting this from, I literally read it in the Torah, right? So number one, first paragraph in text 4B, right? Every 10th animal that passes under the rod, right? The, far, the farmer, like one, two, three, four, five, seven, 10, boom. Now, no one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. Yet you can't choose which ones you want as the tithe. It's got to be random. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. You want to switch that animal for another one? Great. Now you got to bring both of them. <laughs> now you got two tithes for the price of one. And, uh, and that's the mitzvah. Okay? That's the end. Those are the two mitzvot that end the book of Leviticus. Great. As stated already, the objective of this conversation is to understand the connection between the end of the book and the beginning of the book, because the end and the beginning are, are intertwined, the end and the beginning. It's like any great book. Think about any great book, right? You would hope that whatever plot is developed on page one is wrapped up on the last page of the book. You don't want your book going in random directions. You want it to come full circle. So in Torah, right, the books come full circle. So the question is, how does the end and the beginning come full circle? So what's the beginning? What's the beginning of Leviticus? I'm so glad you asked. Let's look at text number five. Text number five is the opening verse, verses of Leviticus. So let's see how the, books, how the book begins. Text five, page 74. God called to Moses, Vayikra, right? Vayikra, that's the name of the book. God called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And he said, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when a person among you brings a sacrifice to God, you should bring as, a sacri as your sacrifice an animal from either the cattle or the flock. And now I turn to you, trusty friends. Trusty? Trusty? Trusted? Trusted? Trusted. I turn to you, trusted friends. Can you tell me the, the connection that you can find between the beginning of the book and the end of the book? What are some similarities between the beginning of Leviticus, which we're reading right now, and the end, which speaks about the mitzvah of um, Bukhar, the firstborn animal, and the mitzvah of the Meiser, the, the, the tenth animal that needs to be brought uh, as, a, as a tithe to the temple. What do you guys think? What, what's the connection between the beginning of the book and the end of the book? Oh, oh. Sheep and oh. cow. Sheep and cows. Good. Yeah. Animals and sacrifices. Good. Make sense? And goats. Goats. All right. Good. So we have an animal connection, animal theme. Then animal party. Woo! Right? Sacrifice. Carbon. 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 Yeah. Carbon. The karev. Yeah. Carbon. Yeah. So it's all about sacrifices. It's all about uh, holy gifts. In the beginning, it talks about bringing a sacrifice from animals. At the end, it talks about the firstborn animal, the firstborn of your animal that is. Uh, sacrifice and a gift to the Kohen, and every tenth animal is a tithe that you bring to the to Jerusalem. Great animals and sacrifices sounds good. What do we do with that? What's the message? What's the life message? 
I don't know, animal sacrifices, but like, what do we, what do, we do with that? I don't, I don't. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, huh? We look askance. We cyanide out, huh? What do you do with those animals? All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go much deeper. We're going to go much deeper to uncover what I believe will thrill you intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and practically. This is going to be a marvelous exposition that the Rebbe uncovers and that I am honored to share with you tonight. And the Rebbe analyzes the opening of the book of Leviticus, which we just read in text five, where God tells Moses to tell the Jewish people that if somebody wants to bring an offering, it's got to be from kosher animals, certain types of animals. However, when you analyze the Hebrew, something interesting emerges. I'm going to pull up the, the text again, text five. I just read it. Um, the Hebrew is very interesting. I'm going to read the Hebrew. God spoke to Moses. I know I'm doing English, but now, Pasuk uh, Bet, second verse. Speak, God says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Adam ki yakriv mikem. Adam, what does Adam mean? Man, man. Ki yakriv mikem, when he brings from amongst you, karban Hashem, an offering to God, min ha from the cattle, min habakar from the flock, min and from the sheep, you shall bring your sacrifices. I will tell you, I will tell you that if we don't have time to do this analysis right now, it's just, we don't, and I apologize for that. If we were going to do a grammatical analysis, this, you know, like when you type out a sentence in Microsoft Word nowadays, like if you get the grammar wrong, it like puts a wavy red line underneath it, like spell check or grammar and syntax. This, <laughs> this sentence in Hebrew is super red flag. There's like three levels of lines under each word. The whole thing doesn't make sense. It starts off speaking in first person and then switches to third person and singular and plural. The whole thing is the whole first half and second half of that verse of verse number two is totally, totally um, uh, distorted. The whole thing doesn't make sense. The Alter Rebbe asked, uh, the commentaries asked this, including the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, in one of his discourses, one of his famous discourses on this Torah portion. And he explains that in order to really understand this verse, you have to read it in a spiritual way. And it's not at all what we're thinking. I'm going to explain. Adam ki yakriv mikem, karban lashem, does not mean if a person wants to bring an offering to God. Adam is referring to Adam ha'elyon, supernal man. Who's supernal man? You know, it says we're creating the image of God. Okay. We're Adam. That means that we're a reflection of Adam Elyon. Adam Elyon, supernal man. That's a reference. It's a euphemism for God. Not that we're calling God a man, but in Kabbalah, it uses that euphemistic terminology, supernal man. Adam ki yakriv mikem karban Hashem means like this. When Hashem, yakriv mikem, pulls us close, karban Hashem. When Hashem, when God pulls us close, then min habehema, min atzon, min habakar, min habakar, min atzon, takrivos karbanchem, then we have to bring an offering. We have to climb closer to God of our own accord. Let me explain. I told you we're going to read this spiritually and let me, let me unpack. I gave you the, the, the kernel. Let me unpack this idea. 
There are moments in our lives in which we find ourselves inspired out of nowhere. We find ourselves suddenly inspired. Why? I don't know. We didn't do anything. We didn't say anything. We didn't study anything. We didn't put ourselves in a specific place for the inspiration. But one day or one moment or we woke up or we went to sleep and suddenly we feel good. We're inspired. Spiritually, we're inspired. We feel close. We feel connected. We feel like there's purpose and meaning in life. We're ready to go. Great. Adam Mikem. When God pulls you close, you know what you need to do? Follow it up with your avodah, with your work. Because if not, it's going to disappear. You know what they say, easy come, easy go. The stuff that we don't work on can be very fleeting. There's two types of inspiration. Inspiration that happens to us and inspiration that we generate through hard work. So there's the, those moments of inspiration that, that happen to us. And then there's the inspiration that we create through study and prayer and good deeds, right? And, and then we feel good. We feel connected. We feel inspired because we put in the work that led to that inspiration. That's the second model. First model is inspiration that comes from above. In the language of Kabbalah, there's an esrusa de la'ela. There's an awakening from above. In other words, the inspiration comes from above. Out of nowhere, boom, we're inspired. And then there's inspiration from below, self-generated inspiration. We worked hard to inspire ourselves. You with me on this? The the Rebbe interprets the verse as follows. The verse is saying, the opening of Leviticus is saying, it's not about if a person wants to bring an offering, here are the animals. That's the simple meaning. The deeper meaning, the spiritual meaning is, when you find yourself inspired out of nowhere, make sure you follow it up with the work, make sure you follow it up with the actual effort, because if not, it's going to disappear. Should I give you a, 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 a relationship example? I'll give you a relationship example. Yeah. You people fall in love, love at first sight, love at first sight. How long does that last? If you don't follow it up with the work, what happens to the love at first sight? Five minutes, <laughs> right? Not even that long, right? But that's what it means. I, I understand that, right? No, no, it's, but it's, okay, can we call it inspiration from above? All right, let's call it inspiration from above. It's inspiration. It's, it's like this big, you know, wow, this grand and big inspiration. But the nature of that inspiration is that it's very fleeting. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's easy come, easy go. It's, it's like chick chock and it's out and it's gone. And then you're like, oh, what happened? Unless when you're in that moment of inspiration, unless you say, ah, oh, there's an opportunity now that if I do the work, if I invest in this relationship with a person or with God or whatever it is, if I invest, then I can continue carrying this forward with my own efforts. Now that's when the magic happens. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Let me read to you what the author Rebbe says. This was my explanation of what he says, but let's read it inside. This is text number six in your books, page 75. The verse states, when a person among you brings a sacrifice, person, Adam, refers to Adam, Adam, well, he doesn't say that, but supernal man, refers to the supernal one, a level of godliness. I don't, I don't like the brackets, a level of godliness. Anyway, it's referring to God. It's referring to God. Adam, this is a radical interpretation. Obviously, it's not a simple interpretation. It's a radical interpretation. It's man is not man. 
terrestrial man, it's supernal man, okay? This then is the meaning of when a person among you brings a sacrifice. What does that mean? Not a person. When God brings you close, karban means to get close. When God brings you close, it refers to a time when a divine inspiration of the supernal one of God descends to bring the heart of earthly man closer to God. God gives us a jolt of inspiration out of nowhere. And then subsequently the verse says from the animals, etc., you shall bring your sacrifice. This refers to the earthly person bringing himself closer to God from his own end. So God can do the heavy lifting or we can do the heavy lifting. What's the difference? The difference is obvious. When God does the heavy lifting, it's great, but it's not going to last. If you, I mean, if you want to base your spiritual um, connection based on those moments that you happen to be inspired, that's going to be a very spotty relationship. Because yeah. how often does that happen? Yom Kippur? Passover, Hanukkah, I don't know, like a random Tuesday once every three years. It's that's that's it's not it's not a sustainable way to create, uh, you know, a, a relationship with God. So when you're inspired, he's saying it's a good opportunity to then be inspired to do the work. Right. When you're feeling like eh, whatever, but then you're inspired. It's like, oh, let me do so. Let me learn. Let me study. Let me put in the work now to build this thing. So again, I think the easiest, easiest way to relate to this is in a human relationship. So you have this kind of like this, oh, this love, you fell in love. It's like bigger than you know, this big thing that you're feeling. That's not going to last. That's it's, it's never going to last. But, but that gives you an opportunity now to invest in the relationship. And maybe, maybe it'll stick. With God, it will certainly stick if we invest. But so anyway, the point is that there's two modalities. There's the above below, the above to below modality and the below to above modality. Okay. Now the truth is, so that's the beginning of, that's how the, that's how the book of Leviticus begins. How does it end? The same dynamic, the same dual dynamic. What were the two mitzvot at the end of the book? My Abhar, the firstborn, and Meiser. What's the difference between the firstborn animal and the animal tithe. What do we say about the about the firstborn animal? If you want to consecrate, if you say, I'm making this holy, what does the Torah say? You can't. Why? Who did it? God. God automatically makes the firstborn animal holy. That's top down. Who makes the miser? Who makes the tithe holy? You. You choose the tenth. You with me in the difference? One is coming from above. One is coming from below. It mirrors. The Rebbe says, the end of the book, isn't it? Are you getting the goosebumps? The goosebumps? Is that a thing? The goosebumps? Capital T and G, right? Goosebumps. The goosebumps. Uh, yeah, the, the the end and the beginning are mirrors in that they both, from a deeper perspective, they both speak of this dual dynamic between when God inspires and then when we inspire, when God makes holy or when we make holy, right? So the beginning of the book talks about when God inspires you, make sure you inspire yourself. The end of the book talks about God, rent, God um, rendering God um, determining that this animal is holy and then us determining that this animal is holy. The same dynamic of from above to below and from below to above. And the point is you need both. But now my question, so, so we have an exquisite symmetry that we would have never seen otherwise if not for this beautiful exposition. With this beautiful symmetry, let me read this in text seven. The firstborn animal, the Rebbe says, the firstborn animal is automatically holy. Made so by designation from above. 
It's sanctity is independent of any human activity. In fact, the Torah says, if you try to make it holy, God gives you the L. It's like you, you're making it holy. Bro, I already made it holy. What are you doing? Oh, I'm giving this as a gift. God, God gives you the side eye. Like, what? You're, what are you? Yeah, you're, you're regifting. That's great. You're a regifter. You can't give it. I already took it. You can't give it. You're giving it. I already took it. It's already holy. It's mine already. What are you doing? By contrast, the Rebbe says, the sanctity of the 10th animal, the tithe, is dependent on human activity. Right? You got to put it in the thing. You got to, right? You, it's a whole it's a whole rigmarole. It's a whole scenario. You got to put it in the uh, in the pen. And you got to open up the pen and count one, two, three, four, five. Who renders which one is whole? It's you, your activity. The Bechar, the firstborn, by virtue of its birth, it's holy. The 10th, by virtue of the farmer counting, that becomes holy. By contrast, the sanctity of the 10th animal is dependent on human activity. A person needs to count the animals. And the 10th, will be holy. Now, I picture this. Remember on Sesame Street, the count? Mm -hmm. One animal tithe. One animal of the tithe. Ah, 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 ah. Two. No? Was that? I love the count. You remember the count? Yeah, the count was epic. Was he purple? It's purple. Yes, dark it's purple. purple. It's purple and awesome. All right. Good. Enough Sesame Street. Back to our story. You guys said she was very good. Now, do you, so so just to clarify, to clarify, I'm going to do a quick 10-second review, 15-second review. This week is Shabbat Chazak. We end the book. The beginning and end are connected. How are they connected? In the beginning and end, in both instances, we're talking about a dual dynamic of God inspiring and then us inspiring. God inspires us. We inspire ourselves. God renders holy. We make things holy. That's the dual dynamic. Now the question is, which one is better? Which one's better? Is it better when God does it or when we do? Well, I already answered the question. It might be grander when God does it. It might be more bombastic and audacious and extravagant. Oh, I'm enjoying these adjectives, right? I don't usually pull these ones out. Um, it might be more bombastic, audacious, and extra extravagant when God does it, right? But it's not going to last. Yeah, but like it's it goes up in smoke, literally. Goes up and exactly goes up in smoke. It's not like it's not gonna last. It's kind of like um riding a wave. It's like, woo, we're riding a wave, but the wave's gonna crash because that's not it's not a sustain, it's not coming for you. Didn't do it. It's you know, it's I'm trying to think of a good example. Maybe it's like winning the lottery. Oh, you say it's like it's like winning the lottery, but not having the tools to deal with money. Because you didn't like if you earn the money and you 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 developed like healthy practices of dealing with managing money, so then you you're you're able to handle the wealth. But if you just win a lottery out of nowhere, you know most people that win the lottery ends up absolutely devastated, like the worst thing that ever happened to them. Most people, it's not even a curse though. It's, a, it's a, I'm, I know I know, but it's not like a super, supernatural curse. It's just like straight up people not not understanding how to how to deal. Right. So it's kind of like when it comes from above, from the outside. Right. It might be bigger. I mean, who's otherwise in a normal situation going to get like, you know, Powerball money yeah, just the next day. That's a big that's a big influx of guilt. Listen, Halavai, we should all have that guilt. Please, God. Right. We should all have the guilt. I'll be blessed and we'll figure it out. We'll get a good financial manager and uh, we'll figure it out. Please, God. But huh? 
and go into hiding. <laughs> Great, on our own private island. Buy an island, and that's it. Um, but the point is like this. You know, that's something from, I know it's not from above necessarily, although whatever, but everything's from above. But the point is, it's like you didn't earn it. It just happened, but it's, it crashes often. As opposed to when you build it, it's sustainable, and you, 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 can, you can deal with it. Um, but which is greater, which is more audacious, the, 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 ex, the one that comes from above, the one that comes from outside, but which is more sustainable, the one that comes from inside. So each one has a, has a mila and a chisar, each one has, a, has, a, has an advantage and a disadvantage. Let's take a look at text number nine. Here's how the Alter Rebbe describes the two, uh, the two models. And he's speaking about our, our connection with God. We find two levels of divine service. One level is inspiration from below. He starts the other way around. When a person exerts himself or herself physically and mentally and concentrates deeply with a humble heart, it's when a person really puts in the effort to build a relationship with God. This causes him to merit the light of divine closeness. In this model, there is an inspiration from below first, which then generates an inspiration from above. In other words, God reciprocates, but it's, you built it. You, you, you're ready for it. Okay. The second level, which we've been, we flipped the order is when a person suddenly feels inspired, suddenly feels inspired without any preparatory work or effort. We see this often when people suddenly become inspired and experience intellectual and emotional excitement in their prayer for a period of time without knowing where these feelings came from. Suddenly, they're all into prayer. Like, oh, I'm praying for hours. But this inspiration is short-lived because it is an inspiration from above designed to generate inspiration from below on our end. In other words, it's God kind of giving you a jolt to inspire you and I to do something about it, but not just to ride that, ride that wave. The difference between these two levels is that when we have a genuine inspiration from below, as a result of hard work, when we earn it, it is enduring, it lasts. This generates an inspiration from above, which shines in the depths of our soul because we prepared ourselves for it before, probably beforehand. This in turn gives us the ability to continue the cycle with further inspiration from below. So we work, God rewards the work, that inspires us to do more work, which inspires a greater light from God, which is more, it's just a, a beautiful cycle that keeps on going. However, but when there's no physical and mental exertion on our part, and we are fully reliant on the inspiration from above that we did not adequately prepare to assimilate into our soul, the inspiration can pass quickly. The force of inspiration is only in effect when God provides it, so it can pass without leaving any lasting impact. When the force is terminated, the feelings that are generated disappear as well. Okay, so that summarizes the distinction between the two models, the above, the from above and the from below model. When it's from above, yes, it's big and it's bold and it's grand, but it's going to crash. It's not going to last. It's like a fleeting cloud. It's like a passing wave. It's like, a, it's not going to last. And when it, and, and if we didn't do anything, when it, it's like, you remember those, um, I don't know why I'm into uh, cartoons right now. But remember um, uh, Roadrunner, Wile E. Coyote, and the, yeah, remember that? Beep, beep. So it was like the Roadrunner would chase after, no, the Coyote would chase after the Roadrunner, and the Roadrunner would like, I don't know, make a sharp turn or something, and the, 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 then the Coyote would continue to run, it would run off the cliff, and then like be like in the air, and then look around, and realize... And then, and then Coyote falls, right? That, that whole like comedic or cartoonic, cartoonish uh, thing of like floating for a little bit and then like, oh, oh. that's kind of what that feels like when it's only inspiration from above. 
It's like, wow, this is amazing. Whoa, this is great. Are you guys feeling this? And then you're like, oh, wait, there's, I didn't build anything here. And then and that, then it crashes. That's the way, that's the way it happens. As opposed to the other model, which is to actually build out a relationship, to build a bridge, to build the steps. It may not be as high. That's the point. It may not, be, we may never climb as high as when God lifted us up. But at least wherever we're at, it's sustainable. At least we're there. At least we're secure in our elevation. So you could be dropped by a helicopter on top of a mountain without any equipment on an icy mountain. And then we might slide all the way down. Or we can climb with boots with spikes and other things that are needed and maybe not get to the top of the mountain, but wherever we got, we're secure. If that analogy doesn't work, that's also cool. Okay, does that make sense? Yes, we have two models. So fine. Now let's go further. Let's go even deeper. Because what we've set up until now, and this we have only one section left, and then we're going to close it out. It's a very quick, quick section, so stay with me. So what we've established thus far is that the inspiration is greater. The quality is greater, if you will, when God does it, but it's more lasting when we do it. However, however, there's another element here as well. And the other element is that not only is it more sustainable when we do it, that really speaks to the purpose of life. When we choose a relationship with God, not only is it more sustainable, but that's actually what the purpose of our existence is, that we should choose a relationship. Because if God does the choosing, it's not a real relationship. Does that make sense? If God imposes the relationship upon us, if we're inspired from above to be in the relationship, if it's not a relationship of our choosing, if there's not that consent on our part, then it's not a real relationship. It's an artificial relationship. And this we find connected to the beginning of this week's Torah portion. We're connecting beginnings and ends. We connect the beginning of the book to the end of the book, but we can connect the beginning of the Torah portion, Bechukotai, with the end. So let's look at how this Torah portion begins. Beautiful, beautiful verses. Take a look at text 10. God says, if you follow my statutes and observe my commandments and perform them, then I will give you your rains in their time. The land will yield its produce and the tree of the field will give forth its fruit. Your threshing will last until the vintage, and the vintage will last until the sowing. You will eat your food to satiety, and you will live in security in your land. What God is saying is if you keep Torah and mitzvot, then you will be blessed with all of these beautiful and physical blessings. All the commentators ask the same question. You're telling me that for spiritual activity, there's physical reward? That doesn't make sense. You study Torah and do mitzvot, and what's the reward? You would think heaven, paradise, olam haba, you know, pie in the sky, hook me up with some light. No, rain and produce and fruit. What? For spiritual stuff, I get physical reward. What's going on? It's a question that all the commentators ask. The answer, according to Kabbalah and Hasidut, is that that's exactly the point. The whole point of Torah and mitzvot is to make this world into a home for God. And how do you know that it works? When even the earth responds by giving its rain. In other words, if when we did a mitzvah, all it triggered was a spiritual consequence, then that means that we didn't really do it right here. We didn't really transform this world into a different 
holier place. If we transform this world into a home for God, then this world will respond in physical ways to what we did. Take a look at how the Rebbe explains this in text 11. Really, really beautiful. Okay? It is specifically the actions of physical human beings that manifest God's deepest desire. God desires to have a home in the lower realm. This is the reason why the reward from the divine service of making this world a home for God is given in the physical realm because the reward must be given in the place of the work. What is the work that we're doing? We're not here on earth to do spiritual work. We're here to do physical work. When I say physical work, I mean making the physical more spiritual, but that means transforming the physical. And thus, as a reward, the physical reign comes. Yeah. But why does God want to exist in the lower realm? Oh, excellent question. Linda's asking, but why does God want this? The Alter Rebbe would answer, or answered, if a taiva is kankashi. You can't ask a question on a desire. This is what God wanted. Why does God want it? Somebody likes vanilla ice cream. Why? I don't know. I just want it. I like it. You with me on this? Ultimately, it, it touches such a deep place in God that that's the ultimate desire. Look, we see this even pragmatically, the way God created the world. He started off with creating heaven and angels, and then he kept on going until he created us, and then he stopped. The question is, why did he stop here? You usually end when your purpose has been fulfilled. You with me on this? You usually end when it's done, when you finish the job. What's the finishing of the job? Us. It means that he wants this right here. And what does he want? He doesn't want us to climb to heaven. He wants us to bring heaven down to earth. He doesn't want us to escape. He wants to bring godliness and heaven into this space. And so God says, when you create a, 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 when you create a home for me in the physical environment, the physical environment itself should be speak. The divine, not escaping the physical, but in the physical itself, transforming the physical, then the physical earth will also be transformed into an earth that is giving blessings to you. It's an earth that gives its rain. Sorry, the, the, the skies give the rain. The clouds give the rain. The earth gives the produce. Everything is going to respond in a beautiful way because the world is transformed. This is why the reward of a mitzvah is rain and food. This is why... Also, did I mention, but I could mention the, the ultimate reward of Mashiach, again, is physical blessings. Even though one would say in the ultimate time, maybe it should be a spiritual reality. No, when Mashiach comes, the ultimate culmination is resurrection of the dead. All the souls, even the ones that have been gone for years, thousands of years, Moses, Abraham, Adam, all those souls are going to come back into bodies and do what? And live in in a physical world. Why? Because that's the purpose. The whole purpose of existence is right here. You don't like this. No, I don't understand why God wants a home in the lower realm. Because isn't the lower realm inherently lower. subpar and lower? Yes, and but that's the chidush. That's the novelty. The novelty is that even in a lower place, even in a place of darkness, there can be light. It can be transformed to light. Why would God want to be down here? Why would he not want to be up where he is everywhere? Why? Because that's too easy. God, God can have heaven whenever he wants, right? God's in heaven always. But to be found, to be, let, let me put it this way. Think about it in the context of a relationship. Again, relationship, right? Us making a home for God means that we're choosing God. The angels don't have a choice. Which feels more meaningful in a relationship? When the other person chooses to love you or when you... If you could create a program, if you could write a program, a computer program, 
that you create a, a software that loves you. Would that feel good? No, because you created it. But if you create a, 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 a being that has its own intelligence and its own desire and its own choice, and it could choose anything, and it still chooses you, now we're talking. Now, now that's a relationship. If I never gave you choice and you choose me, obviously. If I gave you choice and you still choose me, now I'm excited. Now, now it's real. Now this is real. God wanted precisely a realm that could choose anything. And Lord knows we choose oftentimes anything and everything, right? Other than God, right? But when we choose God, then it's real. The angels choosing God, God, that's what I'm saying. God can have heaven anytime, anywhere. It's not a big, it's not a chiddush. It's not a novelty. God wants us to, 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 to have a relationship with him sober. What I mean by that is us choosing him, not an artificial high. Remember, we talked about before how God can inspire us from above, and then we feel uplifted. That's an artificial high. When God lifts us up, and we're like, oh, my gosh, I love prayer. You love prayer, or did you just uh, take uh, a prayer hit from above? Like, did God just hit you with a, a prayer high? In other words, tomorrow, are you going to still be excited? <laughs> to serve God on an artificial high is nishken kunz. It's no trick, no accomplishment. To serve God sober, what I mean, I, I don't mean literally, although I also mean literally, but to serve God from, from me, not from a high, from me. I choose God. I did the work, and I choose God. I choose to be in a relationship with God. That's what's really valuable. That is what is beautiful and valuable. And so, my friends, this is the theme of the book of Leviticus, both the beginning of the book, the end of the book, the beginning of this week's Torah portion, and the end, of course, and the same, the message is the same. There's two models. One model is where God does the heavy lifting. One model is where we escape. One model is the artificial high. That's all the same model, right? All the same model. The same, it's the model of, Something outside, extrinsic, not real choice, not, real, not really valuable. We didn't choose that relationship. We're not really doing it. It's being done for us. The high is a fake high. It's not real. That's not the ideal. What is the ideal? The ideal is to work for it, to schwitz for it. It means to sweat for it. It means to put in the work, to put in the effort, to put in the labor, to put in the... And it's not always going to be glamorous and it won't always be glorious. And sometimes it will feel like we're spinning our wheels and we're not advancing. But every step, every victory is us choosing to create a home for God. And that's ultimately what God wants. God doesn't want the home that he created for himself. God wants the home that we chose to create for him. For us to be close to him because he lifted us up, that's not us creating a home for God. That's God building his own house which he could do anytime, and that's meaningless for God. What God really wants, what's really meaningful, is for us to choose. So yes, yeah, sometimes, once in a while, God lifts us up and inspires us. But that's not the ideal. That's only to show us what's, what the potential is. But then our job is to follow it up with the work. It's kind of like God may show us the blueprint, and then we need to build the edifice. We need to build the home for him. This is why, my friends, Passover is much more glamorous than Shavuot. What happened on Passover? God took us out. 
that's always more glamorous. It's always more exciting. It's always easier to celebrate when someone else does it for you. It's easy. Oh, I'm in love. Oh, love at first sight. That's easy. Of course, that's glamorous. Of course, you can write a poem and, 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 and compose a song and create a mixtape and post on Instagram. The question is not when you fell in love. Rosita, that's perfect. We're talking about love and relationships. It's right? literally us yesterday. Celebration of the, uh, of the engagement. It's not what happens in the beginning of the relationship that makes the relationship. It's the work, the day in, day out work of sustaining and building the relationship. That's where the magic happens. That's what Shavuot is. 49 days of work. Sefira to Omer, counting the Omer every day. I'm working my chesed of chesed, gvur of chesed, um, tferet of chesed. Every day for 49 days, we work on ourselves to refine our character, to climb closer to God. And at the end, we celebrate Shavuot. Is it as glamorous as Passover? No. But is it dear to us? Yes. Is it dear to God? Yes. Does the cheesecake taste better? Absolutely. Good luck getting cheesecake on Passover. Very hard to get cheesecake. Very not, not impossible. I didn't say impossible. Very hard to get good cheesecake on Passover. And so my friends, this is why Passover is much more glamorous because God took us out. He lifted us up. It's the high. Of course, the highs are exciting. The artificial hit, the artificial high, the drugs. Sure. Why not? That's not where life is. That's not what's really ultimately valuable. Certainly not in relation with God. What's valuable is when we did the work, when we climbed the mountain. And we didn't get to the top, but we climbed the mountain. That's what Shavuot is. And so as we get ready in just less than two weeks, we can have for Shavuot, let's remember. And as we conclude, of course, as we conclude the book of Leviticus, as we say, let's give ourselves the strength and encouragement to climb that mountain every day. Every day, one inch at a time. Moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, climb that mountain. Torah was not given in a day. I mean, it was given in a day, but it didn't take a day. It wasn't the day after the Exodus, 49 days later, which tells us that the journey from below to above, climbing our mountain is a gradual step. The exodus happened, one fell swoop. But to climb, to be lifted up, right? That artificial high, the drugs, instant high. But to build it on our own, step by step. Is it ever going to look as, as marvelous? No, it doesn't matter. Number one, it's sustainable. And number two, that's what the purpose is. It's us choosing that relationship with God. May we choose the relationship when we do the work and may we enjoy the fruits of our labors. May we never tire of the work, recognize that that's what life is all about. Thank you for joining me tonight for Torah Studies. I hope you found this to be meaningful, and I hope this resonated with you. Before we continue, I need to make a few very important announcements. Announcement number one. Coming up in a little over a week, Saturday night, June 4th, okay? Stay with me on this. Saturday night, June 4th is the night of Shavuot. Oh. Jewish custom has it that we stay up in the night studying Torah in preparation for receiving the Torah once again on Shavuot. We stay up. What, else, what better way to celebrate Shavuot than to study Torah? We are going to have a very unique and special program right here at In Town Jewish Academy, Chabad in Town. 
And the program is called Torah Talks. You may have heard of TED Talks. These are not TED Talks. These are Torah Talks. Four talks delivered by members of our community to our community. Talks ranging from personal growth to ethics and science to what else do we have? We have a, a range of talks, four incredible talks delivered by four individuals from our community. Join us Saturday night, June 4th, starting at 10.30 p.m. Starts at 10.30 p.m. You could sleep, take a nap in the day, or drink a lot of coffee. We are going to have an exquisitely gourmet cheesecake and coffee bar. I'm talking about, which ones did I order? I think I got a, an Oreo cheesecake, caramel cheesecake, regular cheesecake, chocolate cheesecake. We got like four different cheesecakes along with a gourmet assortment of coffees to keep you and teas to keep you awake. Saturday night, June 4th, save the date, save the time, 10.30 p.m. Join us. It's going to be marvelous. Torah by the people, for the people, to inspire the people. Right? Bottom up. Torah, bottom up, not top down, huh? It ends, well, the first part, it's again midnight. It's going to midnight, 10.30 to midnight. Okay. We have four talks, about 20, 15, 20 minutes each. It's about 80, 90 minutes. So we're going to end at midnight, uh, followed by other Torah study. We'll study more Torah and I'll teach some classes and whatever. But let's, let's, uh, let's go to this first part. As You can stay as long as you want. Um, I'm looking around. Karen, certainly we've had many, uh, many a Shavuot night <laughs> studying Torah, Sindrine as well, right? Many of you, we've uh, studied Torah together uh, well into the, into the night. So this is happening. It will be in-person only on Shavuot because of the holiday. So it's in-person only. After all, you can only have the cheesecake in person anyway. No, because of the holiday, of course, it's going to be in-person and uh, it's going to be marvelous. So save the date and join us. It's a great you can come in comfortable clothing, pajamas, whatever. Come and come as you wish and, and enjoy. We'll study Torah together in this uh, ancient Jewish custom. Next, save the date, June 26th. Sunday, June 26th. IJA's barbecue. What did I call it? Barbecue bash. No, I had another word for it. Hold on. IJA's summer. Yeah, there you go. Summer barbecue bash. 5 p.m., open to our IJ community. Um, both of these, by the way, are free of charge. Um, sponsorships, of course, are welcome. And uh, if, you, if, if you can, we'd appreciate it. But these are open to all, and uh, we're very excited. So that's going to be a barbecue, 5 p.m., Sunday, June 26th, right outside in the back, yeah, behind the building, um, near the Beltline, an evening of fun, hanging out with me and my wife, Leah, and our family, and uh, chilling. Five o'clock. And I'll go for a while. So you come 5, 5.30, whatever. All right, so those are the two things to keep in your calendar. And of course, we have the regular classes as well coming up uh, or ongoing. Okay, good. Great to see everybody. Um, questions or comments? Yes. I have a question. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. So why, what is the significance of the book opening? I believe it opens with the tithing. And it ends with the consecration by God. So in other words, why, why in that order? Why does it start bottom up at the beginning of the book and top down at the end of the book? No, actually, they both start top down, then bottom up. 
They, the beginning, yeah, yeah. The, be, yeah, the beginning of the book starts with Adam Kiakrami Kem. When God picks us up, then Adam Kiakriv Mikem Karban Hashem, then when God lifts you up, make sure that you lift yourself up. So top down, make sure you follow bottom up or else. Okay, right. Easy come, easy go. And then the end talks about first the Bukhar, the firstborn that God does, essentially, yeah. by birth. And then the Maestro, the tithe, that we chose, number 10. We made it holy. We consecrated. We created right. that, that holy dynamic. So the Alter Rebbe, when he talks about it, he reverses the order, but that's just to explain the concept. But really, the cautionary tale is, don't rely on those moments of inspiration to carry you through because they will be fleeting. By the way, this is true in life in general. Don't rely, don't count on that stuff. You got to create whatever you want to see created. Don't rely on, you know, a miracle to carry you through that. You got to, you got to create a, you got to create a sustainable, you got to make a sustainable plan. It's, 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 it's good business advice. It's good family advice, career advice. I think I said that already. Um, spiritual advice. It's across the board. You can't rely on the big stuff. I, I mean, if you're going to rely on feeling excited, you know, to do something to, to then do it, it's never going to get done. You got to put in the effort, even when you're not excited about doing it. That's where the magic happens when you're, when you just, you plug away day by day. So you can't, it's not all about, about okay. So that's that. Hopefully that explains Mom. Hey, by the way, hello. Hey, great to see you. <laughs> I, I wanted to add something. Um, it, it, the, um, the ephemeral inspiration doesn't last. It goes up in smoke just like the carbon. Right. The born. Okay. But, the, but the, the tithing animals sustain you and your family. It physically supports you. I like it. I like it. Right. The Bukhar was eat was it's, brought as a carbon, was brought as a sacrifice lit- on the altar, went up in smoke. Exactly. Well, Some of it was eaten by the Kohen, but it's still a holy concept. Right. Whereas well, the, the mice or the tithe was eaten by the, the farmer and his family in Jerusalem. Good. It sustained the person. Excellent. Yeah, so Very good. There's, there's Hashem. There's God telling us literally how this is going to work. Right. You rely on something from above. It's going to go up in smoke. Right. You create it, then it will sustain you, sustain you in, right. the, uh, in the long haul. So what's the message to the young couple? Bottom line, Isaac and Jenny are engaged. Mazel tov. We all, we all had faith that this day would happen. And what's the message to the young couple? The message is there will be times when you'll be flying high. And some days will be amazing. And some days will be normal. The magic of a relationship is built in the normal days, in the days that aren't, you know, supernatural, when, when there's you no put, artificial high, when, when it's a normal day, you're going to work, you're seeing each other after a normal day. What are you doing for each other on the normal day? That's what builds and sustains relationship. May the couple be blessed with, with long life and many happy years together. And again, the wedding, the chuppah should be b'sha'at tova, umutzlachat, in a happy, in a good and auspicious good and auspicious time and may we all be blessed everything that we need everything that we want and of course the main blessing mashiach now zygesund everybody have a good night thank you soon and don't forget amen the 26th see y'all lila tov thank you thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed today's episode 
As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.